you have your Bible, Ruth chapter 2, I'm not going to ask you to stand with me. I'm going to be picking up. Uh, we're, we're, we're studying the story of Ruth, and, and we've been kind of a Bible biography series, if you will, and, and this is our fifth week of what I had originally planned to be a 10-week series. I told Brother Randy this morning, he said he wasn't surprised at all that I'm afraid it's going to end up being 11 weeks, and, and we'll see how that goes. Amen. I know when I said when we started, we started uh, the book of Romans, I said we'd be in it for at least a year. We were in it for three years, so... I'm not going to be in Ruth for three years, I promise. We're, we're more than halfway done. Amen. But we are in the fifth lesson of what's going to be 10 or 11 or 12, somewhere in there, lessons. Amen. Amen. We left the story last week during Ruth's first day as a gleaner. And a gleaner is someone who, they're poor, they're destitute, they don't have any money or any resources, and they need food. And the the law of God for the Israelites required that the harvesters allow these gleaners to come to their field. If you needed food, you came to the field that was being harvested. And as they picked the harvest, you weren't allowed to get with the people who were picking the harvest. You had to linger behind them. But as they picked the harvest, you could come behind them and whatever they missed or accidentally dropped on the ground. The law was if you drop it on the ground, you have to leave it for the gleaners. So whatever they missed or accidentally dropped on the ground, you could come along behind them and you could pick that up and take that for yourself to help sustain you. It was not by any, it was not by any means a, a way to get wealthy or rich or have an abundance. It was just a way to provide charity for the poor and the needy. And so we, we left Ruth in her first week or her first day as a gleaner. And she has by chance, and we understand that that word chance is, is a pretty liberal way of saying by divine providence, she's ended up in the field of Boaz, who is a kinsman of Naomi. And so uh, when we talked about the prospect of marriage and how impossible it was for Ruth because there wasn't a kinsman, all of a sudden she ends up in the field of the one man who is capable of giving her a future. And we, when we, we learned last week that when she went out in the field to glean, that Boaz came to the field to check on his laborers, and she caught his eye. And immediately she gained his favor. And last week we, we concluded last week's lesson with the first words that Boaz said to Ruth. It was a, a dialogue of sorts in which there were four significant things that he told Ruth. First of all, he asked her to stay in his field. He said, don't go anywhere else to glean. I know that gleaning is something that you can do anywhere in any field, but please stay in my field. Secondly, he said that if you stay in my field, keep your eye on my handmaids. Keep yourself close to my handmaids. What he's saying is, you may not know what fields are mine, but they know what fields are mine. So you go ahead and notice the ladies around you that are, that are working my harvest. And when you go out in the morning to get in a field to glean, you make sure you get where they are. Amen. Then he promised, the third thing he promised her was to extend his protection to her. He told her, as long as you work in my field, you won't have to worry about anything. You're a, you're a widow. You're all alone. You're for a foreigner, a stranger in a strange land. And you may worry about somebody taking advantage of you or somebody abusing you. But as long as you're in my field, you don't have to worry about that. I've given orders that you are to be protected in my field. Amen. 
So we learn that there are benefits of gleaning in his field. But those benefits went beyond protection. The fourth thing he told her and what we concluded with last week was that as long as she was working in his field, she could drink from the water that he provided for his labors. Now that was a luxury that gleaners didn't normally have. Normally the gleaner had to provide their own water, their own food and drink for the day. And so uh, the landowner was gracious enough to allow a gleaner to come to his field. Didn't mean he had to share his resources with them. But here we get a glimpse of the favor that Boaz is showing to Ruth. She can glean in his field. She can stay with his labors. And she, she can drink from his water at any time. We made the connection because it's going to be made multiple times throughout the story of Ruth in between Boaz as a type of Jesus Christ and Ruth as a type of the church. And we talked about how that he, if, if you stay in his field, there's protection there. If you stay in his field, if you work his harvest, there's blessings there and there's provision there and there's living water. Amen? So we see in that first exchange between Boaz and Ruth, we see that something special was taking place on that day in that field. That Moabite young lady who had forsaken her home her family, and her family's idol gods to follow Naomi to Bethlehem and pledge herself to the God of Abraham. She was discovering firsthand the abundant mercy of the God that she has now trusted her life to. This morning, we'll pick up that story with Ruth's response. And I told you last week, we're in a passage, most of uh, chapter 2, that deals with, with one day. And we've kind of left in the middle of it. We're going to pick up right back up in the middle of it. Then we're going to leave it again. And we'll come back next Sunday again right in the middle of this same day. So in verse 10, we get Ruth's response to Boaz's act of kindness. This is what it says. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes? that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger. So Ruth could not believe the incredible favor that Boaz had extended her. She literally fell on her face in the same posture as a worshiper. The verse here actually uses the Hebrew word for worship. It demonstrates to us the biblical understanding of worship. The fact that she fell on her face denotes the physical gesture of prostration. That's falling to one's knees, bowing one's head and nose to the floor, and, and, and bowing before royalty or deity. And in that day and age, it was considered to be a gesture of worship, but it was also considered to be a gesture of submission. And when Ruth did it, she did it to honor Boaz for his kindness. She wasn't worshiping Boaz as you would worship God, but she was, she was giving thanks to him. She was honoring him for his kindness. It was an external evidence of the internal thankfulness that flooded her heart. What she felt on the inside, she showed by the way she acted on the outside. This was not just pomp and circumstance for her. This was not just doing what is required or what, what was the best to do. Ruth was literally expressing the deep thanks that she felt for what Boaz was doing for her. When she prostrated herself before this man who'd shown her so much favor, she was saying, I am submitted to you. I am thankful for all that you've done. Amen. 
Ruth's physical gesture of submission and gratitude was accompanied by a verbal expression of amazement that Boaz had been so gracious to her that he'd even taken notice of her. After all, she's a foreigner. She is a Moabite. And because of that, she has no right to claim the blessings of the God of Israel. But Boaz has dignified this destitute widow from a foreign land and treated her as if she mattered. He's shown her kindness that in her own eyes she did not deserve. And so she demonstrates her thankfulness both in her posture and in her praise. She, she, both in the way that she conducts herself physically and in the words that come out of her mouth. The overflow of the gratitude that is in her heart expresses itself in her actions. Now I said the Hebrew word used here is the word for worship and, and it gives us some insight into biblical worship. Worship is always the external evidence of what is happening in the heart. Amen? When the inner man reverences God, the physical man worships Him. When the heart is truly thankful, it expresses itself in the words that come out of your mouth. Amen. You wonder why we put such an emphasis on worship. Uh, it's because your worship demonstrates uh, the condition of your heart. And the converse could be said to be true. Amen. When you fail to worship, that also reveals something about your attitude of gratitude, about your thankfulness for the things that God has done for you. When you stand in the presence of God and you don't magnify Him and you don't worship Him and you don't lift Him up, it's, it's as if you're saying, I'm not thankful, Lord, for all that you've done for me. I'm not thankful, God, uh, for your many blessings that you've given me. But when you come into the presence of the Lord uh, and you demonstrate both in your actions and in your, your words uh, how thankful you are, that's what worship is. Amen? We don't deserve his goodness any more than Ruth did. Boaz favored Ruth regardless of everything that was against her. He showed her uncommon mercy, amazing grace. And you, have I, you and I have received that same measure of grace and mercy. How much more then should we worship God? How much more then should we lift up the one who has loved us and who has had mercy on us and who provided for us when we didn't deserve it, when we weren't worthy of it, when we were strangers in a strange land? Uh, amen. He who reached down to us who, who were not a people and called us his people. Uh, amen. Who, who had no hope uh, and gave us his hope. Uh, who wandered aimlessly and without direction, uh, but he gave purpose and meaning to life. Uh, how much more should we praise him? Amen? Verse 11 says, And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother, and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. So Boaz continues to dignify Ruth in his answer to her question. He, he, she asks, why are you doing this? And, and he begins to explain why. He begins to tell that uh, he's shown her such favor because of all that he's heard about her. The foreman, you remember last week when he came and said, who is that lady? The foreman didn't tell Boaz 
her name. He didn't tell her that it was Ruth or tell him that it was Ruth, but he identified her. He identified her, first of all, as a Moabitess, and second of all, as being related to Naomi. And whenever he did that, he made it known who she was. Immediately, the lights come on. So this is the person that everybody's talking about. Remember, we, we covered that in the uh, second or third lesson, how that all over Bethlehem, everybody was talking about Moabite, uh, about ne- Ruth the Moabite and Naomi and how they had come back from Moab. And so no doubt Boaz has heard the talk uh, and immediately he knows who this is. So when she says, how come you've shown me such mercy and grace? He says, because I've heard uh, the reports that I've heard. Uh, I've heard your extraordinary kindness uh, to your mother-in-law. I've heard how that uh, you had the courage to accompany her when she needed to leave Moab and and come back to Bethlehem. Uh, He goes on to explain that what has particularly impressed him uh, is her treatment of Naomi. Naomi after the death of her husband. Naomi released Ruth and Orpah from any obligation that they had to her. And Orpah's response was natural and rational. She accepted the release that Naomi gave her. And she went back to that which was familiar to her. And that which was secure to her. Her own land. Her own people. And her own gods. But Ruth, uh, Ruth has done that which is radical and irrational. Uh, amen. Perhaps the, the, uh, the unknown world of her mother-in-law, that place called Israel that she's never seen before. Amen. She has, she has said, perhaps I'll find something there that will make me whole and full again. Uh, and she's put her faith in a God uh, that she's never seen and never known. Uh, she's abandoned her own father and her own mother. She's abandoned what, what the scripture calls the land of her nativity which uh, the translation from Hebrew would, would relate to the land of your people. Uh, amen. It's, it's an indication that she's leaving behind everything that she knows and everything that she has and everything that she's ever had to cast her lot with a people that she does not know. Amen. Like Abraham and surely at this point Boaz, a devout Jew, is seeing the similarities that exists between Ruth and Abraham. Abraham left the security of the familiar and committed himself to the unknown and put his trust in God. And, and so Boaz says, you, you've, you've given yourself to that which you, you didn't know. You, you put your trust in that which you, you can't see. You, you put your faith in a God that, 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 that was something that you, you didn't understand at the time. Uh, amen. When you left Moab to come to Bethlehem with Naomi, amen, you showed confidence uh, in that which you couldn't touch with your own hands, that which you couldn't see with your own eyes, that which you, you had no understanding of. Ruth may be a stranger, but she's shown great care for Naomi. She, she didn't come to Bethlehem with Naomi to, to have a vacation. This isn't an adventure for her. She didn't just come to see the sights, to, to live the high life. She came to Bethlehem to assist Naomi in her needs. Naomi the widow. Naomi who is destitute. Naomi who has nothing. And Ruth is... Presently, at this point, she's assisting Naomi by going to the field and gleaning. That hard labor to gather the food that they may have something to eat together. And what Boaz says is, that kind of care, he said, that's why I'm blessing you. That kind of care merits blessing. 
And that kind of care is what has inspired me to show special favor to you, Ruth. Listen to this preacher on this Sunday morning. You reap what you sow. And one way of looking at it, it was Ruth's kindness to Naomi that resulted in the kindness that she received from Boaz. Because she has shown her mother-in-law kindness. Because when she could have turned back, she didn't. Because whenever she tried to push her away, she clung to her and refused to go away. Because she's thrown her whole life away to come and help her mother-in-law. Because she has shown favor. Now she finds favor. Both in the eyes of Boaz and the Lord. The grace and the mercy that she'll find in Boaz's field is going to be given to her in the same measure that she's given grace and mercy to Naomi. You see a little bit of that reaping what you sow here. And that truth is not lost on Boaz. In verse 12, he keys in on it and he says this, The Lord recompense thy work. Not Boaz, not me. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. So now Boaz prays to God that God would intervene on her behalf. You'd think it's enough that Boaz is providing for her, but Boaz understands that the greater provision and the greater blessing that Ruth really needs uh, is going to come from the Lord God Almighty. Amen. And you may say, well, you can't put God in your debt. Uh, God doesn't owe you anything. And, And I understand that. You can't earn your salvation. But Brother Dennis, would you put Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 17 on the screen for me? The, the, the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, wrote the book of Proverbs under the inspiration of God. And these are the words that he wrote. He said this in verse 17 of chapter 19. He that hath pity upon the poor, listen, lendeth unto the Lord. He that hath pity on the poor makes a loan to God. There's a disconnect in there. It ought to be he that has pity on the poor lends to the poor. If there's a debt that's owed, it ought to belong to the poor, right? But that's not what the scripture said. It said he that hath pity on the poor lends to God. And if there's a debt to be owed, it's God that owes the debt. And he says this of God, and that which he hath given, will he pay him again? So if you've been kind to the poor, you bless the poor, amen, you put God in your debt. And God always pays his debts, amen? So the proverb expresses an eternal truth that no doubt Boaz was aware of. To be compassionate to the poor is to put God in your debt. And that's a good place to be, amen? Because when you got God in your debt, uh, God always pays his debts. uh, And he doesn't just pay them, he pays them in abundance uh, until they're overflowing, uh, amen? He never just gives back what you've given him, but he gives it back pressed down, shaken together, and running over, amen? So Boaz recognizes that Ruth, by her act of kindness, and you can take it back to Ruth, Ruth, by her act of kindness, has indebted not only Naomi to her, but in an an important sense, she has indebted God to her. She's obligated God, amen, in verse 12, to work on her behalf. And it's God who rewards those who help the poor. Listen, what you do matters. 
It matters how you conduct yourself. It matters how you handle yourself from day to day. God sees the littlest things. God sees the things that nobody else is aware of, that nobody else knows about. God sees the compassion and the mercy that you have when nobody else is watching you, when nobody else knows what you've done. God sees those things. Uh, and, the, and, and there's a principle that will never go away in Scripture. You reap what you sow. Amen. And when you're a blessing to others, you're not putting others in your debt. God says, I pay that debt. I'm going to bless you. And so now we find the law of reaping and sowing working in Ruth's favor because she has sown seeds of kindness and blessing to Naomi. Boaz says, God's going to pay you back. Naomi can't pay you back. Naomi doesn't have the resources. Naomi, if, if it's up to Naomi to repay the debt, it's never going to get paid. Uh, but God, uh, he's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. He's going to bless you. It may seem like you've wasted your labor. It may seem like you've wasted your sustenance. Uh, it may seem like you're doing all of this uh, for no reward. Uh, but lift up your head uh, because God sees what you're doing. God sees where you are. He knows what it costs you and you can count on it, honey. He's going to pay his debt. Amen? So Boaz prays for God to reward Ruth with blessings because of what Ruth has done. And nobody blesses like God blesses. Amen. And Boaz realizes that the most significant thing that he can do for Ruth is to call down the blessings of God upon her life. Now, it's likely that Boaz had no idea as he was praying this prayer that God was getting ready to pour those blessings through him. Amen. He probably had no idea at this point in the story that God was going to use him as an answer to all of Ruth's prayers. Not just an immediate need in the field gleaning that day, but God's about to find, Ruth's about to find favor with Boaz before this story is over. They're going to be married, uh, and there's going to be a child born. Uh, and that child, uh, amen, is in the lineage uh, of King David. Uh, that child is in the lineage uh, of Jesus Christ. Uh, amen. There's a blessing coming to Ruth's household. Uh, and Boaz doesn't understand yet that it's coming through him. Amen. Don't be surprised when you recognize a need and you begin to pray for someone to be blessed by God if God doesn't lay the burden on you to be the one who does the blessing. Amen. You put yourself at the disposal of the master when you begin to pray for God to bless somebody else. So don't be surprised if he uses you. When, you know, how many times have you walked by and said, somebody needs to do that. Somebody needs to go there. Somebody needs to be a blessing to them. When you start saying somebody needs to, you need to start listening because God may be getting ready to call on you to be that someone. Amen? The main emphasis in verse 12 was the word fool. Boaz prayed that Ruth would be given a full reward, everything that was due her. He prayed that her cup would be filled to overflowing, that God would fully repay her kindness because that's the way God works. He doesn't ever pay his debts in part. 
He doesn't ever just pay part of it off. He pays his debts in full. Amen. You'll never outgive him. You're never going to outlove him. You're never going to show more mercy than he's going to show you. Amen. You'll never be in God's debt for long because he pays his debts in full. Amen. David said, my cup runneth over. Amen. There's something about the blessing of God uh, that when he begins to bless, uh, he blesses in abundance. The next thing that Boaz specifies is who's going to be doing the blessing. The Lord God of Israel. That's who will repay Ruth. And it's significant that Boaz invokes the name of the Lord. You see, Ruth is a Moabite. But because of her acts of kindness to Naomi, an Israelite, she who was an outsider has obligated the God of Israel to repay Naomi's debt to her. Indeed, Boaz recognizes the significance of Ruth's confession to Naomi. She has placed her trust fully in God. That's why God will repay the debt. Naomi's debt to Ruth belongs to God because Ruth has placed her life in God's hands. To express that notion, Boaz introduces one of the most beautiful pictures of divine care in all of Scripture. He imagines God as a mother bird who offers her wings for protection of her defenseless young. It's a familiar image to those of the ancient Middle East. It's often used in biblical imagery. Jesus Christ will stand one day in the hill overlooking Bethlehem or overlooking at Jerusalem and say, How often I would have gathered you under my wings. How often I would have put you under my protection. And that's the imagery that Boaz invokes. He, he describes Ruth as the, the little young bird who has come to the Lord to seek refuge under the strength uh, of his mighty wings. Uh, and refuge is what she has found. Uh, the imagery of the bird nestled beneath the mother's wings uh, gives a vivid picture of trust and security. There's no security outside of the Lord. Uh, there's no security outside of his blessing. Uh, but when you put your life in his hands, uh, you're like that little bird uh, underneath its mother's wings. Uh, I don't know what's coming. Uh, I don't know what tomorrow holds. Uh, I don't know what the day after the day after that's going to bring, uh, but I know who holds me. Uh, I know whose wings I'm covered by. I know whose shelter I'm under. Uh, I know the one that watches over me, and he never sleeps, uh, and he never slumbers, uh, and nothing ever takes him by surprise. Amen? So now Ruth a lowly Moabite. She puts herself under the protection of the God of Israel. You can't help but consider the contrast between Elimelech, who at the beginning of the story, in a time of crisis, shot, sought refuge in Moab. When he sought shelter from a famine, by going down to the land of Moab, he was essentially transferring his trust from the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to the idol gods of the Moabites. But now you have Ruth, just a lowly Moabite. She ain't never been anything but a stranger and a foreigner to the people of God. But she has forsaken the land of her kindred. She has forsaken her mother and her father. She has forsaken their idol gods. And now she seeks refuge and shelter from the one true God of Israel. 
what a poor decision Elimelech made. It cost him his life, his sustenance, everything he had. His sons would die in Moab. His wife would return, a desperate widow. She went out full, but she came back empty and broken. But what a tremendous choice Ruth has made. She's put her life in the hands of God. And now God says, just like Boaz said, if you'll stay in my field, my protection will be around you. Now God says, because you're following me, my protection is going to be over you. Like, like my wings that settle down. There's one thing to say you got the protection of the landowner. It's another thing to say you're under the protection of the Lord God of Israel. Amen? Verse 13 says, Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, O Lord, my Lord. For thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like one of thine handmaids. There's a little bit of confusion. The translation itself generates some. The Hebrew phrase that the King James Bible translates as a request for favor, let me find favor in thy sight, is more of an expression of gratitude than it is a request for further blessings. She's not saying, oh, I see I'm getting some from you. Let me see if I can get some more. Let me see. You've shown me favor. Now show me some more favor. That's not what she's doing. Ruth is not imploring Boaz to be kind to her. What she's saying is, and, and what you have is an exact translation of the Hebrew, and it ignores the idiom that's there. You know, we say the nine yards, the whole nine yards. You understand we're not talking about a yardstick, nine of them. We say the whole nine yards. We mean the whole kit and caboodle. It has a meaning to it. And the phrase there, let me find favor in thy sight, is an idiom that, that speaks to an expression of gratitude. It's not a request for, for kindness. She's not, she's not saying, I want you to bless me more. What she's saying is, I'm so glad that you've shown me such kindness. Her words are almost the equivalent uh, in the English to saying thank you. And so she thanks him for two things. First, he has comforted her. The actual words used here convey the sense of being able to breathe deeply, comfort. It carries a sense of relieving tension or stress. Ruth is telling Boaz, by your kindness, you've brought relief to me. You put my troubled mind at ease. By your kindness, finally, I can breathe deeply. Finally, there's some peace and some contentment in all the trouble and turmoil that I've known. Finally, I understand that my future is looking better. Finally, I understand that God is making a way where there seemed to be no way. You ever felt that way? Amen. I can just, I can breathe deep now. I can let out a side relief now. Amen. There's something come along in the presence of God and the blessings of God that relieved the stress that brought me comfort. Secondly, she thanks him for speaking kindly to her. The phrase here is also a Hebrew idiom that literally means it literally the Hebrew translated literally would say you have spoken to my heart. In this case, they've translated the idiom. You've spoken kindly to me. What we didn't do at the first half of the verse, we've now done in the second half of the verse. So the literal translation would have been, you've spoken to my heart. 
What it is, it's an expression of gratitude or, or the kindness of Boaz's words. It's saying that you've connected with my heart. That kindness that you've shown me, it's connected with something inside of me. Ruth is amazed that Boaz, one of the children of God, would show such kindness to someone like her, a refugee from Moab. And so her expression of amazement at Boaz's kindness was based on the fact that, that he had paid her attention. He had spoken words to her heart. He had reached out and touched her very deeply and given her comfort. Amen. Even though I'm not like one of your handmaids. I'm different. I'm a foreigner. That statement is better expressed also in the Hebrew. The English translation, the word handmaid appears twice. Thou hast spoken friendly unto thy handmaid, even though I'm not like one of your handmaids. The, the translation there, the word handmaid, comes from two different Hebrew words. In the first case... The, the word that's used is different than the second case. There's a class difference between the two. When I say class, I mean social station. The word that Ruth used to describe herself, that first use of the word handmaid, describes her as being of a lower class than the other use of the word handmaid. She describes herself using the word for a female servant of the lowest rank. And then she describes his servants as being female servants of a much higher rank. So there's a class difference. There's a, there's a difference in rank. She's, she's saying, you, you've, you've had compassion on me. And you've had mercy on me. Even though I'm, I'm not as good as they are. You ever felt like that? I'm not as good as they are. They're, they're probably more deserving of your, your compassion, your mercy than I am. She's saying, I'm not like them. In other words, there's, there's no reason for your kindness. I, I don't deserve it. Ruth is completely amazed that her social classification as a stranger in a strange land has not stopped Boaz's kindness. After all, she's a Moabite. She's a daughter of a nation that is the professed enemy of the people of God. That's why it's so significant that Boaz says the God of Israel is going to bless you. Because her people are the enemies of the God of Israel. And that hasn't stopped Boaz from showing her mercy and grace. How many times have you felt the same way in the presence of the Lord? I, I remember as a young person, I struggled mightily with my many failures and I would argue with God, even as he was dealing with my heart, even as he was trying to pull out, pour out his mercy and his grace on my life, I would remind him, I'd say, God, I don't deserve this. I'm not worthy of this. I failed you. I've messed up too many times. I, I've gone too far. I've done too much. There, are, I'm of a lower class than everybody else. I, I understand Brother Randy's a good man, and I understand why you blessed Brother Randy, but Lord, I, I'm of a lower class. I, I've messed up, Lord. I've made a mess out of my life. I've done so many things wrong. I don't deserve your blessings. I don't deserve your goodness. I don't deserve your kindness. But God never listened. None of that ever stopped the hand of mercy. Just like Boaz. He loved me anyway. He had mercy on me anyway. 
The scripture says that God is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter what your station is is in life. It doesn't matter how many times you've messed up. You'll never go wrong by putting your life in his hands and trusting yourself to his protection and his blessing and his care. Amen. I'm going to close with, with, well, no, I'm not. I'm going to say one more thing, then I'm going to close. Would that be all right? I don't know what time it is. I may preach another hour. I promise to have you out of here in a few minutes. There's some irony in Ruth's final words in this verse. When she says, I'm not like the other handmaids. Unwittingly, she touches on the very thing that initially caught Boaz's attention. She's different than the others. She doesn't look like they look. She doesn't dress like they dress. She doesn't act like they act. They're all Israelites. They're all Jews. Their upbringing is different than hers. And she's a daughter of Moab. And she's different than them, no doubt. In Boaz's eyes, she's far more beautiful and far more gracious and far more attractive in every way than the other handmaids in the field. And it is her difference that has caught the eye of Boaz. It's the difference that brought them together. Sometimes if we're not careful, we bemoan the fact that because we live for God, we're different. Like Ruth, we may see it as a liability. Ruth sees it as an obstacle. I'm not like the rest of them. I'm different. And we do that sometimes. I want to stop you for a minute and ask you to consider this morning that the things that make you different are the very things that make you the apple of God's eye. They're the very things that make you attractive to the Lord. Amen. No, we, we don't live like everybody else. No, we, there's some clothes we don't wear. There's some places we don't go. There's some things we don't partake of. There are some words that never come out of our mouths. Uh, amen. But just because we're different uh, doesn't mean it's a liability. Uh, those are the things uh, that catch the eye of God. Uh, those are the things uh, that God says, you're my people. And I'm, I'm not ashamed to be called your God uh, because the words that come out of your mouth uh, may, may go Glorify me and edify and lift up. Uh, I'm not ashamed to be your God uh, because I see the goodness of the Lord reflected in the way that you live uh, and the way that you conduct yourself and the way that you carry yourself. The things that make you different are the things that make you attractive to heaven. Amen. Now I'm going to close. It's obvious that Boaz's kindness means a great deal to Ruth. His actions in this passage represent the first good thing that has happened to Ruth since her husband died in Moab. She's had to learn what it means to be a widow. She's had to learn what it is to be exiled from her own people. She's had to learn what it is to be cut off and shut out because she married a foreigner. And she's also endured poverty, lack of sustenance, because she has accompanied Naomi from Moab to Bethlehem. The kindness that Boaz now shows her represents a monumental change in her life. If you'd stand with me, Brother Ryan, would you come? It's a landmark moment.
It's one of those moments that you later look back on as the moment when everything in your life changed. It was all going bad. Been a whole lot of losing. Hadn't been very much winning lately. Been a whole lot of struggles. Been a whole lot of downtimes. There's been a whole lot of difficulty. Hadn't been all that much to smile about. Hadn't been all that much to rejoice about. But then along comes Boaz. And all of a sudden, everything begins to change for Ruth. It was a moment of startling clarity. Ruth must have realized at this point, my past doesn't define my future. Where I've been and what I've done doesn't decide where I'm going from here. Just because so much has gone wrong in Ruth's life doesn't mean it will always have to be that way. This is the turning point for Ruth. This day, this field, this man, this prayer, these blessings, finally, she has found the favor and the grace of God in the person of Boaz. And this, as much as anything else, is the reason for her expression of thankfulness. Listen to this preacher on this Sunday morning. Learn to celebrate the landmarks along the way. Learn to celebrate the things that remind you that God is watching over you. That He is providing for you. If you don't mind me using my wife, learn how to stop and thank God for the little bird eating the french fry. Look for the goodness of God and you'll find it. Look for the blessing and the provision of God and you'll see it. And it matters that you take the time to worship the Lord from a grateful heart when He shows you that He's not forgotten you, that He's not abandoned you, that He's not left you alone, even in the smallest of ways, even just a little bird. Eating a french fry. Some of you don't have any idea what I'm talking about. You missed her testimony the other night. and I'm sorry I don't have time to go into it. But even in the smallest of ways, He shows us, I'm here. Just hang on. Just a little while longer. My blessings are pursuing you. My goodness is getting ready to overtake you. Amen. I haven't forgotten you. I haven't abandoned you. I haven't left you alone. It matters that you take the time to worship him when he reveals himself to you. I know that some of you are walking through a valley and you're looking for deliverance from the Lord and you're waiting for him to step in and change the course of things. But I want to remind you this morning to be thankful even in the small things. Learn to see the landmarks. Learn to recognize the evidence that God is with you, that He's watching over you, that He is your great provider. Listen, my friend, He sent the ravens to the prophet in the desolate wilderness before He ever called the prophet out of the wilderness. The whole time that a famine's going on. The whole time that there's a drought in place. 
the whole time there's nothing to eat anywhere and the, and the prophets never delivered from that for, for that length of time. But every day there comes a bird with a little morsel of provision for the man of God. I come to tell somebody in this place, he'll be a blessing to you in the middle of your valley. He'll be a blessing to you in the middle of your trying circumstance. He's going to provide for you. He's going to take care of you. He's taking over everything. He's watching over everything. He's got his hand on you, and he knows right where you are. And you have a reason this morning to worship him because of his goodness, his kindness, his mercy. It surrounds you. Can I remind you today that even on the worst day of your life, His blessings are more than enough. Even in the most difficult time, His goodness will sustain you. We've got to learn to be like Ruth and recognize. It's not finished yet. She's still in abject poverty. She's still got to go glean the fields. It's not like Ruth handed her the, the what's the name of the sweepstakes, publisher clearinghouse, whatever it is. Everybody goes crazy over. He hasn't handed her that check from publisher's clearinghouse. I said, you, you want a million dollars. But she recognizes God's with me. God's watching over me. Before the story's over, things are going to change. Uh, this isn't the end of my story. This isn't the end of the story. This isn't the end of the line. This isn't the final thing. Uh, amen. Before it's over with, uh, the goodness of God uh, is going to show up. Uh, the blessings of God uh, are going to meet me. Uh, amen. His kindness is going to overtake me. Learn to praise Him in the storm for the goodness He shows you in the valley, recognizing that it carries with it a promise. God doesn't forget his debts. He doesn't ever walk out on his obligations. What he promised you, he's going to do. This week in prayer, the Lord reminded me one year ago, the first Sunday of August, one year ago, just a few weeks from now, Brother Dennis Anderson, our district superintendent, stood in this church, stood in that pulpit, and he prophesied over this group of people. He said, God's going to bless you. He said specifically, you're going to reap from seeds you haven't sown. There's a harvest coming. From that time to this, we've seen anything but harvest. The last year, when he, when he said that, we were running somewhere in the 50s and 60s. It hasn't been uncommon to see 20 or 30 on a Sunday morning the last year. There's been a, there's been a diminishing. There's, there's been definitely been a, a time, a trial testing but I come to tell you the Lord showed up this week in my own personal prayer life and reminded me and told me you need to tell the people you need to remind them I never 
forever, ever. Let my word go out and return to me void. What I said I'm going to do, I'm going to do. My blessings are sure. They're settled. You may not be walking in them just yet. You may not have come to that place just yet. But you can hold to the promise of God. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to watch over you. Because I am yours. And you are mine. I feel like in this house on a Sunday morning, God wants to connect with somebody. His heart to your heart. He wants to instill a sense of confidence. Perhaps even that sense of wonder. He knows where you are. He knows what you're facing. He knows everything that's going on. And He cares enough to send a man of God into a pulpit on a Sunday morning to tell you He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't forsaken you. He's right here with you. I'm asking you this morning if you find a place of prayer. And would you celebrate the landmarks? Would you celebrate the multitude of small ways that you know that God's with you right where you are? You don't have to look very far to find a reason to celebrate. You don't have to think very hard to find an evidence of the blessings of God in your life. No, you may not have the thing you've been praying for. No, you may not reach the pinnacle of the mountain. No, you may still be struggling in the deep, dark valley, but the evidence is all around you. He knows where you are. And he's right there with you. Would you put your trust in him this morning like the little bird coming to the mother hen? Let me gather you under my wings, he said. How often? Would you let it happen in this place on a Sunday morning? Would you let the overshadowing, abiding presence of an almighty God settle down over your life today? There's protection there. There's blessing there. There's provision there. Would you call on the name of Jesus this morning?